We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Hour Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers split a pair of hard-fought games this weekend, first losing on Friday night to a Wolves team that's playing pretty well right now, 110 to 102, and then getting a big win on Sunday against the Golden State Warriors in a game they went up early, huge start, went up uh, 20 in the first quarter, then gave it all back with the bench unit, had a stretch where I think we missed 13 shots in a row. But the running theme over the course of both games, Darius, was the brilliance of Anthony Davis. Last week, we had a pod where in the first half, uh, we marveled at how he warped the game on the defensive end in particular. Well, this was a weekend where his superstardom on the offensive end showed up as well. And that was really the version of him that was just out of this world. 38 points against the Wolves on Friday, followed by a 39-point performance against Golden State, where he just took them apart. And D, this is in the context of a team that outside of him had plenty of problems scoring at several points over the course of this weekend. But AD carried them 38 and a half points per game on efficient scoring, man. Talk to me about a brilliant weekend from Anthony Davis. I mean, Anthony Davis, man, you, you know, I've been trying to sing his praises all season long, just because I think he is that good of a player and it's hard to put it in perspective because he's just had such bad injury luck and like to miss six weeks basically in the middle of the season with some sort of like freaky sort of foot thing that just sidelines him and this is when he was playing at an MVP level for a team that was not going to allow him to win MVP because they just weren't winning enough games and had dug themselves such a bad hole but you understood again his stature in the league as just one of those those guys. And I wrote about this in the three things preview column, Mike, for Lakers.com is if you look at 
So this was the 15th game that AD has played since returning from from injury. And so I had looked at his previous 14 games in little segments, right? Five games, his first five games, the next five games, and then the next four games. And basically those first five games, he scored well, but didn't really rebound well and didn't didn't shoot 50 percent over the course of those five five games. The next five five games, he was sub 20 points per game. And again, sub 50% shooting. But in the last four games before the Golden State game, he was at basically back to his season averages, but on Mm -hmm. like 58% shooting. So he's like 28, 28 points, 13 rebounds. And then to come back with a 39 point performance, Mike, he was just doing everything offensively. Um, Just hitting his jumper, um getting into the lane off of off of like dribble drives and and little pocket passes where he's shooting floaters over the top i said in my recap to the warriors game he was sort of slaloming his way into the paint on like slick little keeper actions where the lakers are running cuts around him and he's holding on to to the ball and then driving and shooting one-legged runners like fading to his left but shooting a a runner with his right hand fading. And it's just like, these are unreal shots. They're guard shots, basically. And he does them so gracefully and he plays with such elegance as a player, but also plays with force. The final possessions of the game, the Lakers went to him on back-to-back possessions. He got posted up on a switch against Andre Iguodala and he just basically muscled through him and drew a foul and then sank both of his free throws. And on the next possession, Mike, he's isolated against Draymond Green, arguably one of the best big man isolation defenders that you're going to find. And he's starting out 16 feet away from the basket and he just puts his head down, goes right into his chest and shoots right over the top of him for a bucket with 48 seconds left. I think that basically put the game away, put put the Lakers up six. And he was just amazing offensively and did everything in terms of lifting up the team whenever they needed a basket. Just an unreal player and uh, and played great against the Wolves as well. But like the, the Lakers had other issues in that game. So I'll just kick it to you, Mike. What have you been seeing with AD? AD to me is the guy that stands out over this weekend of games. Yeah, Davis is a plus 17 against a team that was geared up mostly to try and to stop him and to try and make things difficult on him. And they couldn't. They couldn't. He's too good. He's a player that I think when you when you look at him in the context of the rest of the league and you think about him, even like his next contract, like his next thing, it's it's hard sometimes to remember that. Well, it's not hard for us to remember, but I think the way that the league looks at him is in just given the amount of games that he's missed the last couple of years. It's almost like the ah, yeah, I don't know. Just show me that you can do it, you know, for X amount of time. And, and I think that that misses. Uh, well, a you want a title. And then B, when he is on the court for Darius's sample size there of the of the the first couple of games, the next couple, if when he gets to that third tier, um, and basically like a yeah. month of basketball played, yep. um, he's just completely unstoppable. And so, like my only my question with a for AD, and like it's like I asked him last year at the exit interviews, and I'll ask him again this year, is what is is there a more optimal program, you know, in in terms of the body to get on 
uh, whether whatever it's weight or or strength versus quickness versus agility versus getting on Kareem's yoga plan from the '80s, all this type of stuff that we like to try and, and think about from afar. Whatever whatever that angle is, whatever that situation is, that's the only thing I'm thinking about because basketball wise, he doesn't need any help. He knows how to play. And what I've been loving most about him this year, in contrast, some to the last couple has been the aggression on offense and the not settling. And that doesn't mean he's not going to take a couple of mid-range pull-ups, but Pete, he's like, he's putting the move that he does where he just puts it on the floor once or twice, a little bit of a feint and then steps through. It's a, it's impossible to guard. You either have to follow him or just hope that he misses once he gets one of those long arm in, long arms into the lane. And uh, it's a, it's beautiful to watch that kind of basketball we played offensively to get 39 points, which not many players in the world can do, and then really control the game defensively from the paint. And that's what he did. And it's uh, it was I think we're right to just just talk about him for a while on a night or a day where a lot of guys played really well and helped a lot. But, you know, this was Anthony Davis. This was Anthony Davis is win. He was the one that got it done. Yeah, just absolute brilliance on both ends of the floor. But I thought in today's game, we unlocked something that is going to be relevant going forward. One thing that stood out to me in the postgame interviews, Mike, was when you were talking to Malik Beasley. And he was talking about the development of a two-man game between the two of them and saying, you know, there's going to be times – he was saying – this is Beasley relaying what he was saying to Anthony Davis, which is – there are going to be times where you need to be the ball handler in our two-man game. And half of AD's six assists tonight went to Beasley. Uh, there was one of the split-cut actions with Austin and Beasley that I had uh, been looking for off of the elbow. Got a layup because they top-locked it on Beasley, and, and he read it, and AD hit him with that pass. But in the two previous games, AD had two assists to 11 turnovers. And so to me, that's uh, that illustrates just some degree of we're going from a team that's playing through LeBron James to a team that's now playing through Anthony Davis. And just what you do, how you go about it is different in a way that that's been one of the really cruel things about the last couple of seasons is if you give any group of players a few games to play with each other, they're going to be better at playing with each other than they were at the beginning of that, provided everybody's working hard and, you know, really locked in that the environment's okay. And, but that environment is always changing. The group of guys has always been changing due to injuries over the last couple of seasons that no group gets that, rep those repetitions where it's Beasley notes how to read AD and vice versa. And they can just kind of make plays off of that, that I was really encouraged by what I saw from that tonight, D. This was a team, this is an important game in that respect because it was the third time that we played them, right? This isn't something that the game plan and the personnel that you're up against, it's the most familiar game we could play right now. And so I thought that that was, aside from the individual dominance, I thought we made some progress in today's game in learning how to play off of AD. Well, I'm going to kick it right back to you, Pete, because before the game started in in our text thread, you had sort of mentioned like you thought that this was kind of an important game for Darvin Ham too, and and I think mm -hmm. that that was that idea of the third time in two and a half weeks yep. that probably played into it. So I'm just going to hand the ball right back off to you. It's like a flea flicker here. You handed it to me, <laughs> and I'm pitching it right back to you. So. A, is that what you were sort of thinking about? Yep. 
and B, like, it sounds like you were pleased with some of the stuff that the Lakers did and have started to develop coming off of a film session that all of the players sort of said and mm-hmm. and Darwin in his media availability spoke about was a very productive film session. And, and so what did you see from that standpoint? So, yeah, that that operating off of uh, different players and operating off of AD in particular, I thought that the dunker spot stuff with Vanderbilt, we had some good stuff there. But AD's just doing a good job of facing up, attacking and reading the help defender. When you're as good as he is, all those guys will all, all tell you, I'm not really worried about beating the guy in front of me. I'm more looking to identify where the help is coming from. And I thought we were just more intentional in what we did off of the ball to uh, – respond to what ad does well because just kind of the places where he's attacking on the floor are different than from where lebron attacks most of the time right and so it's important to know like okay when you do this i do that that film session though i think is really important because mike i was surprised after the minnesota game darvin made some comments that he made some pregame comments maybe you can give some context uh, on before the warriors game in relation to that but expressed a level of frustration and a level of like hey we we got to lock in and get up for these games. And so I I was struck by that because I didn't watch that game. And even in the rewatch, it didn't stand out to me as a game where we didn't play hard. I was, it was to me the my response was like there were like, like, like 10 games earlier this season where we played less hard th- than that. Like had we not we wouldn't be in this position right now. Right. If had we won more of those. But uh the team seems to be imbued with a sense of urgency right now that I think is super important. And so I'd love to hear your big picture thoughts on that. Yeah, it's funny because Darius and I had the same thought on this and he, but he described it in our text thread as even if that speech that you give doesn't necessarily reflect the immediate thing that you just saw or the game that you just saw, a coach sometimes can use it as a tool. And, and I, of course, listen to Phil Jackson do this all the time mm-hmm. um, and not to put Darvin Ham in that kind of uh, context, certainly. But where even like even if the team plays bad, uh, plays fine, but you you need a win the next game, you can yell it. You can yell at guys in a certain way if they have a certain amount of trust in you. You don't do it all the time. You're not just throwing it away um, to do it like emotionally without any type of actual reflection. And, and so that under that context, I thought it was effective. Uh, and in, er, well, to your point, Pete, now bringing both of your points in this, like it, we saw that it was effective based on how the Lakers played today, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what Darvin Ham gets credit for. But I do think they have been playing with that, that certain sense of urgency really since the trade deadline. Uh, and, and some guys have been playing like that just in mm-hmm. general, but this get like this specific game, they had to wrap it up even that much more without D'Angelo Russell and without LeBron James. And so it had to be this, this mix of defensive focus and intensity. And then on the offensive end, just urgency and, and like trying to get past that initial line of, of warrior defense. And I think that if there's anything that, that typifies this the most, just watch how hard Austin Reeves and Malik Beasley and Dennis Schroeder work to chase the three point shooters of the warriors around it, Cause you have to do that for the whole shot clock, man. It is a tough ask. And it's not just Steph, it's it's Clay and it's Poole. And you've got three guys mm-hmm. moving and three guys at any second uh, waiting to just jack a three. And they took, I believe, the same of those three, I think took the same amount of threes as the whole Laker team. Um, let me check this as I'm looking it up. So, yeah, so 33 threes between Curry, Thompson, and Poole attempted. The Lakers took mm-hmm. 33 as a team and made 11. Uh, and those those guys made 12. 
So that's hard. That's a lot of defense. And I don't want to go one more second without mentioning the name of Troy Brown, um, who I thought was great. Yeah. In a lot of these contexts, and, and, and I should mention him in that same sentence of the guys that were working their ass off uh, to chase shooters around. And then, by the way, hit four threes of his own on the other end. This is where, and I think the, combining both the Friday game and the Sunday game, it was an interesting double feature of games, yeah. right? Because, like, I was frustrated after Friday's game for a variety of reasons, First and foremost, I think, was more that the Lakers had this golden opportunity to sort of like stick it to some teams in the standings where almost everything went right for them in terms of which teams lost and then the Lakers lost too. And so in one respect, they didn't give up any ground. But in some respects, they had, like I said, they had that opportunity to just sort of like jump into a position where it's just like, oh, look, they're really in the mix now and then carry some of that momentum into this Sunday game. But I was also frustrated because the Lakers at a fundamental level play hard and they get after it, but there is a difference between their baseline level of get after it and they're like, we're getting after you, get after it. And you saw Mm -hmm. that difference in the Timberwolves game. Their level of intensity, their level of focus, their level of commitment to executing what was needed on the defensive side of the ball, I thought, for a lot of the Minnesota game just was not at the level it needed to be at. That's not to say it was Mm -hmm. bad, because we've seen bad Lakers effort, mostly in seasons past, right? So I don't even really want to talk about this version of the team as, as like playing with a bunch of low effort a lot, because they... They've mostly competed all season, but I just thought for what was needed, they weren't at the level that was needed. And that's where I thought Darwin's frustration probably came from. And then like little mistakes like AD picking up like a bunch of offensive fouls. And then that meant that Bamba had to play a little bit more. And those bench units were fine to sort of close out the second quarter and to go into halftime. But I thought how would this have looked if that was Anthony Davis in the game instead of Mo Mm -hmm. Bamba? And I just thought they let one get away. And comments after the game from almost to a man like AD, Vanderbilt, all of these dudes that talked, they all sort of said, we felt like we we gave a game away on Friday. And so I'm glad that they came into this game with the level of focus that they did. And whether or not it was like Darwin sort of in his way, this is about as far as he's gone. He's not berating them by any means, but this is as far as he's gone in terms of his level of post-game disappointment. And, And so I thought that it all sort of worked in tandem. The Lakers carried that pride themselves and Darwin imbued them with some of that too. Pete, I just forgot to mention that because you asked this question. So Darvin clarified before the game that I was a little emotional after the game. And, <laughs> and this is now this is now my words. I think that just the the pressure of the Lakers, like almost every game feels so important that it makes yeah. while you're watching and the three clanks out, you know, and, and nobody feels that more than the head coach. So sure. he, I think he was feeling that when and then he said when he watched the film. He felt kind of how you guys felt where, oh, wait a second. Our defensive effort was actually fine. Uh, Now there were, there were parts in the offensive end that were just weren't crisp and and blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't, it wasn't like how, how he was feeling wasn't necessarily reflective of the facts, Um, you know, which is, that's a, you know, that just made me think of like a, 
my relationship with my wife sometimes, right? It's like when you're going back, look, sometimes the feelings don't always represent the facts on the ground. And it's Mm -hmm. always important to, to suss those things out. And and they did that, and I think they they certainly responded well. I'm thrilled by the sense of urgency and the sense of damn it, we let that one get away. I, my only point was like y'all let like ten worse ones get away than that one, you know. So uh, before we go to break, Darius, if it hasn't gone a commercial, do you see the score of the Clippers Memphis game? Oh, it is a commercial. It's one twelve ninety seven Memphis. I um I, I would like to ask you guys a question. I would ask you. So here, I, multiple choice because I have been, and, and I hope th- I hope you guys don't feel like this is rude because I my if you see my eyes veering, I am watching the game. Um, oh, yeah. On, yeah. <laughs> and uh, this multiple choice: Did the Grizzlies score a thirty-seven points in the in the third quarter? B forty-five points or C fifty-one points in the third quarter? Oh man, the fact that you even said the fifty-one points is like giving me. Giving me vibes that like they actually did score 51 points. Because they got a buck 12 after three. 51 points. Yeah, Tyus Jones, (laughs) the best backup point guard in the NBA, who should be considered uh, in the sixth man of the year conversation, uh, Minnesota zone, had just eviscerated them in the third quarter. Unbelievable. Oh, only the Clippers, man. We got to talk some Clippers. It, it, like, if Another there were less day. going on with the Lakers right yes, now, yes. yeah, we would totally have been wanting to talk about this for a minute. Let's take a break. We come back and talk some more uh, Lakers weekend. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Actually, I lied. I want to talk about how this weekend impacts going forward. We've got this Memphis team that we were just talking about coming up tomorrow. And like I brought up with the Beasley and AD two-man game, there was another thing I thought we figured out, which was the bench groups. This was a crazy game in that we went up by 20 in the first quarter, which is very rare. And then... It then we missed, like, like I said earlier, like 13 straight shots with a bench unit that was really struggling to score. And all the way up until, until his last shift, Dennis was pretty rough. In the second half, we had Austin on the ball a lot more, 
and he was the one that was running that unit. Because in the first half, Dennis went out really early in the first quarter, presumably so he could come back in to run that unit. Darvin flipped that in the second half, and I thought that was a good adjustment. He also went smaller down the stretch than I was hoping for, but that worked too, right? That was something that certainly worked out, and Troy Brown at the four was a key figure in that. And so, I don't know, I, we've, I've been kind of pining for... Uh, We've been pining for certain adjustments, guys, and I thought that Darvin's story this weekend was an interesting one, and I thought that we have gained some ground from when we started this, you know, this few week stretch without LeBron James and how to play through Anthony Davis. I think we've gained ground in part because of these little tweaks. Well, everything is a learning experience with this team because it's a brand new team again, right? And so they've played nine games. Um, after the trade deadline, right? So the Lakers played on trade deadline day. They played the skeleton crew and they lost to to the Bucks. Since that game, starting with that February 11th game against the Warriors in which I saw Mike and had some soup, um, the Lakers are six and the Lakers are six and three in nine games, mm-hmm. including three wins over those those Warriors. And in that mix, they've had LeBron for a few games and then LeBron got hurt. They had a single game in which LeBron, AD, and D'Angelo Russell were able to play a basketball game together. And Russell's been hurt now. He got hurt on the 23rd again in a game against the Warriors. He stepped on Dante DiVincenzo's foot and he's been out a while now too. And hopefully he'll he'll be coming back soon. And so that instability that you mentioned earlier, Pete, about not being able to play together a lot, there is that still exists. And these guys are still learning how to play together. Like we think even mm-hmm. about like adding a guy like Rui. Rui's played in 17 games for the Lakers. The Lakers are nine and eight in those games. He's one of our wily vets. <laughs> yeah. And I think they're still learning him. And yeah. he's still trying to find his way within this group. He came to a new team and then they put a new team on top of the new team. I don't think we emphasize enough just how unusual the circumstances of this team are trying to learn each other while playing these high intensity games. And so Mike, you've been talking to Austin after the games and Austin does his aw shucks thing and he always defers and and it's like, I'm just out there trying to play. And I appreciate the fact that you probed him for more context in his answers post game this time, because It is a new thing for Austin to have to take on this much usage. Like one of the things that's happened in Austin's first season and and a half with with the team, he played on a team with LeBron James and also Russell Westbrook. And so LeBron missed a lot of time, but Russ did not. One of the things that goes unsaid a lot about Russ is like he was almost always available. So he played a ton of minutes and Austin didn't get a lot of on ball reps like the way that he did Mm -hmm. in his senior year in college at Oklahoma. Instead, he sort of reverted back to what he was as like a college player at Wichita State. But Pete, you knew it's just like, man, we need to get Austin more on ball reps. Austin needs some more on on ball reps. But it's like he hasn't really had the chance. And so Mike, post game, you're talking to him and you're just like, hey, you know, what's up with the on ball reps? Or are you just trying to 
play your game and this, this, that, and the other. And Austin's just like, oh, thanks. You gave me my safe out. Yeah, I'm just trying to play basketball. And you're just like, no, 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 bro. Like you are doing more, right? Because you kind of have to. And he opened up a little bit. So, so Mike, like Austin's play, I think, is a pivotal part of this discussion of learning what you can do with some of these bench units too, because he does need the ball in his hands a little bit more. And he does have some of the craft and savviness as a skill guard that I think is super useful in Darvin Ham's offense, especially. Well, yeah. And you you also just correctly diagnose the issue sometimes with post-game press conferences. There's this, you know, there's a feeling, there's a lot of reporters in there and you never want to like it's difficult to just ask one follow-up question because there are 10 other people waiting to get their first one in, especially when you cover the Lakers. And since I since I'm the reporter for Spectrum, a lot of times I start and in, invariably there'll be an answer that comes back. And especially when you ask the first question, right, it's, it's, it can be a throwaway and you really need a follow up to kind of if, if a guy's going to do that. Yeah, both teams played hard, you know, that kind of thing, which <laughs> which I get, especially as you're kind of mm-hmm. warming up. But a lot of times you don't get a chance to do that. Um, and and so you're but to in order to get the answer, like we all know, right, that Austin has had to raise his usage up a little bit. And guess what? He's really good at it because he still doesn't even when he ups his usage, he doesn't force bad shots. Still, he took nine and made five of them. He was three for three from three until missing his next two. He always gets to the free throw line. He was three for four. His assisted turnover was eight to two. And one of those turnovers was was one of those where, like, I thought he made the right play. And I can't remember who it was with, but just didn't like didn't see it. The way that it was he, Vanderbilt that he saw it. went right off his hands, yep. right into the crowd. It was a tough close quarters play, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and here I am, you know, giving Austin credit for that. But it, it helps in this case. Um, it helps my narrative. And that was a little bit lazy. So I'm like, but I, <laughs> watching it live, though, I, I, did, I felt like watching it live. I felt like, hey, you, you know, you got to expect that. Mm-hmm. Pat. Anyway, and Vanderbilt sometimes like gets so amped. That he, we've seen a we've seen him. Vanderbilt's a, a wild ride, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, and by the way, he was plus twenty five and barely. He was fantastic. We, we barely mentioned him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then and, and we could spend more time on Troy, but I think what the the thing that I want to kick back to you guys about Austin is in the first half, I sent a text and was was basically like, need more Austin. You know, just not necessarily even just the ball more or creating more, although that that is the impetus behind getting him out there, but just more minutes. But he ends up yeah. playing most of the second half, like once he gets in there. And you know that he's probably going to close. And so he ends up around 28, which is actually fine uh, for him. Mm-hmm. But then it, as I say that, Pete, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'd rather have him around 31 until Russell you know, or LeBron get back. I, I don't know. Sure. It, it's just a it's a tough one where it's the team is better generally uh, when he's on the basketball court. And especially in the context of them needing some additional things to happen. But the, the rotation has kind of been what it's been, and Darvin has has prioritized certain guys a certain way, but then he gets Austin in there when it matters. So yeah. what is your answer to how Austin should be used and how he's operating within that usage? Well, I just think to further that idea of the calculus that Darvin's making there too is that there's injury concerns on turning him too far up that we've discussed as well, right? In terms of if you're playing him, the way just the way that he plays, similar to Vanderbilt, right? Like that once you get into the 30s, I think it's we can see one of those hamstring injuries pop up that we've seen from from him as well. And so that said, the the bench unit was so bereft of on-ball shot creation in the first half that it forced like that that switch by Darvin, but also what 
Austin said to you in the the first answer was, I'm just going to make the right basketball play. This is something you'll hear LeBron say all the time as well. And basically what that means to my ears anyway is that it's a player saying, I'm going to read the defense and I'm going to make the correct play based upon what is in front of me. Which in is Austin's, obvious to some guys like Austin and LeBron yes. and not to others. So like when he says it, it's like, what do you mean? Like that's just basketball. But, yeah. But the right way to play basketball is not the same for everybody. So, yeah, not everybody has the capability to diagnose the situation that's in front of them. The place he's unusual, especially for a young player, in that I would say his judgment and calibration is too far in a deferential direction. In in that, like, there are a lot of times where it's actually no, your matchup is better than the guy who has the ball. And so, your point about Russ. And Russ always being healthy really speaks to this, I think, D, is that there's not enough oxygen in the room for that to come out, especially if a guy has naturally deferential type of tendencies. That's why I've been like, Austin, shoot the ball. Austin, like, give the ball to Austin. But the conditions really weren't there for that to to happen as much. And so the first half was so bad with the 13 straight missed shots that making that switch, I really hope we stick with that in terms of bench units. And that's one thing with trading Russ that we need to address that we haven't talked about a lot is that the leadership of your bench unit and how your bench unit is run has totally changed. Now, I know it's supposed to be Dennis in that spot with D'Lo as a starter, but I think that Dennis and Austin are actually complementary on-ball players in a lot of ways. And so, I don't know, in some ways we may have stumbled onto something that just is one of the pieces to the puzzle. No, Austin is supposed to play with Dennis in that second unit, and it's super important that I'm glad that he's getting some of these reps now and that some of those reps came with Dennis actually in the game. Mike, like one of the things that I think doesn't get said enough about Dennis is that in his last season in OKC, which was one of his best seasons as as a pro, he actually shared the court a ton with Chris Paul and with uh, SGA. And he had to play off the ball way more than what he was used to playing for almost every other season of his career. And then he came to the Lakers and it was just like, hey, bro, like we want you to be our starting point guard. And he did have to play off the ball more with playing in these LeBron groups. But overall, he got the ball much more than what he did the season before in OKC, where did he win sixth man? If he didn't, he was in the race and he was a finalist. Anyways. Yeah, he didn't win, but he was he was in the mix. Yeah. So one of the things that I liked is that down the stretch of this game, um, or even just in some of their fourth quarter minutes where they were paired up, is Dennis did move off off of the ball while Austin was able to initiate offense. And that, to me, Pete, is Mm -hmm. a formula that can be replicated in the future, particularly when when Russell comes back, right? And, And so... And this is where I'm going to show a little bit of appreciation for Dennis, too, is that he can be a capable off-ball worker. He does do mm-hmm. things off of the ball. He is he hit an important three from the corner, I think, off of um, a great pass from Austin, yep. by the mm-hmm. way, running that pick and roll. And both can be that, that on-ball threat and off-ball threat that I think they will complement each other once they're in more lineups together. One of the things that is going to be important, though, is getting this group back to whole. There aren't any updates 
about D'Lo other than like what essentially Darwin has said is that he's got to do the whole return to play protocol thing. So, you know, get in practice, get a run in it at full speed and, and then we'll consider him. But they're not he, he wasn't like if he does that on Monday, then he can play on Tuesday. So there seems to be some level of uncertainty, right, even just within the staff as to when they when when they think Russell is going to be able to come back. I do think that this comes back to slotting a little bit. And I'm very interested in where the team goes because the the momentum is there for them to be grabbed <laughs> a little bit. And mm-hmm. and I'm we we started out the pod talking about um just the urgency and everything coming out of the Wolves game and then it displaying itself against the Warriors. And there's a big game coming up again on Tuesday and every game is going to be a big game come coming up, right? And I'm there's so many guys who just are are fighting for it. Like tr- Troy to me is like super symbolic of this idea of just giving your all. He played 41 minutes mm-hmm. against the Warriors and he chased around Clay Thompson. He chased around Jordan Poole. He chased around Steph. Well, well, Steph Curry, he played power forward down, down the stretch and, and dug in there for, for rebounds. Like he was doing everything he could to win this game beyond going five for 10 from the field and hitting four of his seven, seven threes and just playing with so much confidence and, and so much heart that it's just like, I really just want this team the best version that they can be right right now, which does not include LeBron, obviously, but but I just want them to get this time together. Where are you at with all of this? Because they they seem so close to me. They are close. They, this has been like this has been a season that's worth fighting for all along. And there have been a couple of points where LeBron has put his foot on the gas, no pun intended, but has done so to help, I think, save the season just based on the current circumstances that they were in. And I think that he's probably dealing with some of the results of that, right, with his uh, with his foot injury. And, but this has been a season worth fighting for precisely because we're at the point where we're at and it's right there. And so let's try to celebrate the small wins at the very least. We're not whole. We've only had one game with LeBron, AD, and D'Lo. And we're 6-3 and three since the new guys started playing, right? And with whatever you know is going on with D'Lo's, with D'Lo's foot when, or whatever's going on with D'Lo's ankle, when LeBron is going to be back, that's been the story of the last – couple of seasons has been this constant turnover and uncertainty, but we have really fought throughout the course of this year to get to this point where we are right on the precipice, Mike. But guys like Troy Brown and the good work that he's done all year, man, you did the walkout off interview with him. Like he's one of those people that has helped us get to this point where I totally feel you, D. We're right there. And hopefully we're going to need some breaks on the health end of things. And the next game is going to be very difficult, right? Like it's going to be a whole end of the season that's like this. But a guy like Troy Brown, Mike, has really, uh, I think, exemplified what's been really good about this team. Yeah, and, and a quick thing about Troy Brown. So he's he's the guy that you sign on the vet men in the offseason that you think there's more to this than than what should be. Like this is a guy that does have some pedigree. He does have some talent. And when he came here, he was hungry. Uh, and he wanted to show that he had more. And he's he's by being mm-hmm. consistent, by playing hard, by being locked in, by listening to the coaches, by working hard. You know, he has shown some of that. And he, like everybody on this Laker team, could not hit a shot early in the season. The first couple of weeks, the whole team couldn't hit one. 
And guess what? The last 15 games, he's shooting 45% from three on four attempts per game. And he's one of the few Lakers who's actually played in all 15 of those games. Uh, the other ones would be Hachimura and Dennis Schroeder and Lonnie Walker, uh, the fourth. So he's played. Uh, the only other, the only guy that's shooting better is Austin. And Austin takes 2.83s a game. He's at 51.6% from three. And so you can pull Austin into that, but these are guys that give you other things and yet they've been your most consistent three point shooters. That's value. You know, that's, that's real value that we're seeing play out for them. And they've been a big part of, of this resurgence on top of the guys that come in from the other teams, uh, right? Of course, Beasley and, and Vanderbilt and Russell in, in injecting some energy, but Austin and Troy are two of the guys that have been here all year, you know, that have, that have been giving value uh, and, and that's only been getting better the last couple of weeks. All right. Lakers end the weekend tied for 10th place. Uh, the Utah Jazz have the tiebreakers, so there hasn't been a single day where we've spent, uh, where we've started it above that line for the last play-in spot. But we're right there, tied in the standings. Plenty of work ahead. We got a game on Tuesday. That's going to be the night where we re- retire Powell's jersey as well. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. Talk more about that game and more. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the score. move. Two, one, miss it. It's over. And shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.